<laughs> Snap, crackle, pop. Yeah. That was a pretty neat thing about Raven, wasn't it? Yeah, it kind of got me. She's right there. I know. That, I know her. Yeah, she's right there behind that her. camera. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If she gets angry at us, our picture's going to go. <laughs> 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 she's filming. Hi. It's so nice to see you. Yeah. <clears throat> the power. Did you of notice that in her little tribute thing, that Todd Edmonds snuck in there? I did see that. I did. You know, I wonder how many people know that Todd's back I'm and he's filming, and everybody loves to hear from him. What do you think? <laughs> they do, don't I, you? Personally, don't you, don't you? I just want to know what's he filming? He's already filmed everything. Yeah, you got a point there. Is there anything? Maybe he's redoing one. I don't know what he's filming. I think sometimes he just waits for history to happen. <laughs> so he and then he comes and back. So Todd, come on up here and let's hear what you're doing. <laughs> Welcome back. So we want to hear about the new course. Let's, let's get the spill. So uh, this time I'm back. Last time I was filming AP World. Um, and this time we're doing middle school American history. So uh, I'm back in not my comfort zone, but kind of. Uh, so American history is, is kind of where my heart is with history. And, and I really enjoy uh, talking about our country a lot. So, uh, so that's what we're doing this time. And, uh, and today we had a little excitement you could say, when the, in, in the middle of, next time you, if you watch me film, uh, in the middle of a lesson, uh, the power went out. And um, so that was uh, not the first time that's happened to me. It's actually the second. So I've been told uh, that I brought the power outage with me. Um, so uh, so I'm, I'm back causing my, my normal problems. So, there you go. But having fun, having fun. It's good to have you back. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Uh, some of the people are wondering why you were in a tin can. <laughs> well, I was wondering that too for a minute, but then I realized that you just can't contain me. Do you want they me to do a search? Why? Yeah. You you can't be contained. <laughs> <laughs> now finish that sentence. No, I we're, hear we're good. <laughs> I want to do the search. I'm very hard to contain, so they try to put me in like a tin can. But it didn't work, did it? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> you know, uh, I've been doing some research. I actually have a computer, you do. a little handheld computer. It's powerful. And I also use it as a phone. But uh, I've, been, <laughs> I've been collecting data. You know, in science, we collect data from experiments, mm -hmm. and then we try to figure things out. Um, probably one of the greatest mysteries facing science today is Peugeot's origin. Yeah, <laughs> that, that one's just gonna be hard. Some people think she was probably shipped from out of this world in a tin can. <laughs> that was probably the safest way so to get here. So I'd, I'd just like to confirm a few of these facts, if it's okay with you. You have access to that? Oh yeah, I'm online. <laughs> okay, Would that be all right I'd love you? to hear this. I'm just trying to put this all together, uh, see if I can settle Anyway, <laughs> would you mind answering a few questions? You can ask them. Uh, so <laughs> what's the deal with horses? Do you like horses? I love horses. 
The smell, the riding. I love horses. The smell? I love the smell of horses, yes. I do. Aromatherapy right there. <laughs> Excellent. So um, are you, would you say that you're a cowboy? I'm, I'm, I like cowboys. I'm a cowgirl. Is that more information than you, you like, wanted? You like cow, cowgirls? No, you like cowboys. cowboys. <laughs> I like cowgirls, too. <laughs> I is, like cowboys. Is this anything you relate to? <laughs> yeah, that's from Nashville, Tennessee. That's hard to see. Yeah, just, you know, maybe if I'd hold it up like this. Hmm? Oh. Look at that eye Great. on Let's there. Let's see you get that. Do you like, relate to this? Mm-hmm. Yep, I love leather. Okay, so... This could help us solve the mystery about your origins. The boot could? Yeah. Don't you think this gives us a, some clues on where, 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 where you're originally from? <laughs> where are we going? I'm following. Let's go. It's a nice boot. <laughs> it is. It looks like it has some stories. But how is this supposed to help us know where you're from? I would like to know that myself. Yeah. It's kind of got me stumped, too. <laughs> um, I wonder if you'd be kind enough to help me mm -hmm. read some of my notes. I put notes here. A lot of us are very interested in becoming inventionaires. Yes. And so uh, I, I've collected a little bit of information. And if I know this isn't rehearsed. Would, would you mind helping me read some of this? First of all, could you just read the first line of the title? Little Fits of Wisdom. What? Little Fits of Wisdom. What are fits? I know they are with little kids. They're only about this big. <laughs> little fits. There's Little Fits of Wisdom. Okay, so that's what they are. And then can you read the second line uh -huh. of the title? The Makeup of Invention Ears. Yeah. Do you wear makeup? You must be an inventioner. Okay, keep, keep reading. Thank keep you. Reading. This is good. Okay, inventioneering, the science of seeing the unseen bits of the universe and putting them to useful work. The unseen I love that. bits. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good definition. I love that. A lot of people don't see what's there. And there's a reason they don't. Read, read. can you read number one? One. If you cannot reach the cookie jar, build a ladder. <laughs> there you go. You probably want to know whether or not I invented yeah, that. Yeah, I want to know. <laughs> I love cookies. <laughs> but what it's kind? true, you know. Um, my, my wonderful mother <laughs> made very good cookies, and, and she put chocolate chips in. Mm -hmm. Oatmeal cookies, you know, I kind of had self-control. <laughs> but when you put chocolate in them, it's a different gig. But then she'd put them up on the refrigerator. So, when they're out of reach, you can become frustrated, you can give up, you can become sour grapes. But, what if you just stop and think, now, the cookies are there, I'm here, how do I get there? There's got to be a way. And so you start envisioning how to catch it, connect it, and then you build a ladder. You know, that's how a lot of science takes place. But you can't build a ladder 
to the cookies on top of the cookie jar unless you can visualize where the cookies are. And that's, uh, that's a big part of science. Can you read number two? Mm-hmm. That's the one with the two in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you cannot see it, it may still be there. Keep looking. Even if you can't see it, what is it? Tell me. We don't know what it is, do we? <laughs> uh-huh. Keep reading. Keep, there's more. If we knew what it was we were doing, it wouldn't be called research, now would it? <laughs> <laughs> you know who said that? That was Einstein. That's Einstein. Yeah, yeah, he's got it right. If, if, if we knew what we were doing, it wouldn't be research. <laughs> And there's more wisdom in that than meets the eye. Keep reading. The thing that is so wonderfully challenging about research is the thing we are trying to do is usually invisible. The first person to see the invisible, we call the inventor. That's neat. Wow, wisdom. <laughs> Coming right out of my this. phone. I love this. Yeah, isn't this yeah. great? Well, invisible. It's invisible because we can't see it. And very often things are there that don't appear. For example, scientists couldn't see black holes. So what they do? Number three. See the invisible by looking at the stars beyond. We see invisible black holes by observing their influence and impact on the things around them. When you know it's there but you cannot see it, Observe the behavior of the things nearby. Make goals while considering the unseen. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So astronomers have learned a lot by, by seeing the influence, for example, of a black hole on other stars, on other bodies. Uh, when Einstein was trying to prove his, his very important theory, and this was quite a few years ago, he predicted a result about how the gravity of the sun could actually turn light waves. And so in order to do an experiment, he needed to look at stars far out in space beyond the sun and see if when they passed close to the sun, if it would cause the light to shift in the amount that his theory predicted. Of course, the only way you can see stars with light coming right by the sun is during a full eclipse. So he was getting ready to do this big experiment. He made a prediction of how much the the stars should look like they shifted in proportion to the other stars as they passed by the sun. So he made his his calculation, he published it, and scientists went out to observe the, <laughs> the event of the solar eclipse. Interestingly, that year, as they were out trying to do this experiment, a lot of things happened. Uh, some of the research teams encountered bad weather. One of the research teams found himself in Nazi Germany right at the outbreak of the war, and that kind of ruined his experiment. Mm. And so they didn't get the data from this eclipse. And uh, it's an interesting thing. 
If the light shifted a little bit, that'd be really interesting. But the thing that made it a, a big event for science was if it shifted exactly the amount that Einstein had calculated and predicted. Interestingly, Einstein made a math error. And he predicted the wrong amount of shift. And everything happened so they couldn't get the data. So no one knew about his mistake. By the time the next eclipse came along, he'd figured out his mistake. He corrected his math, made a new prediction, and they went out and observed exactly what he predicted. And so that became a pretty big deal. Seeing that which cannot be seen is a real, real key to advancing the state of the art. And the state of the art, well, let's read number four. I missed this one part. Can I oh, do the next yeah. part? Can we back up? <laughs> this, this, really are, good. this wasn't rehearsed, <laughs> they can tell. Without goals, we wander. Goals based on the invisible we call the vision. I like that. So what does that mean to you? Why did you want to read that? Because it's true. Oh. I, I just think it's very profound. Okay. I want them to not miss it on, because I was sloppy. It. Okay, <laughs> number four. Profound in it. Okay, number four. Thank you. Never waste a quote-unquote speck. Anything, anything unexpected could be the key to something new and wonderful. Sometimes it takes specks and specks before any of them make sense. Always be on the lookout for something unexplainable, something that does not fit, like pixels in a picture. Once you have enough specks, you will see what it means, and sometimes you will be the first to put it together. Are we done? Thank you. No, I want you to talk about that. I could write that. Please talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, we should rehearse this, shouldn't we? Okay. But I, uh, I wonder if you saw what I saw. Some of you were listening to her. Some of you were watching her, but not me. I was looking for the unexpected. I was looking for the invisible. I was on the search to know what we all want to know. Where did she come from? Oh. <laughs> no. Really? And there were clues given tonight, weren't there? My cadence, what is it? I missed the cadence. Did yeah. you have a cadence? <laughs> that's what I okay, that's great, no. What were the clues? Well, you know, I thought I had it figured out when you said you like horses. And I do. And then you went on to that part about the smell. <laughs> yeah? Hmm. Did, that, did that confuse you? <laughs> Some planets have alternate atmospheres. We have oxygen, nitrogen. Some have hydrogen sulfide and other no, things. <laughs> and if, I guess if you grow up in that kind of an environment, you, know. you might like those <laughs> So that was definitely farm. a clue. That was definitely a clue. I do like the farm. And then the cowboy <laughs> thing, the cowboy comment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to figure out, how does the cowboy boot fit into her origins? <laughs> yeah. And so then we had her read this new wisdom. 
about specs. Yeah, these are, <laughs> it's about bits and specs and invisible and mm -hmm. inventions and Einstein and lots of things. And so I figured I'm missing something. So I looked over at the boot and I stared at it. I tried to see the invisible because I knew it was the invisible that would break it all open for us and we would then know. But I couldn't see it. So then I did what I'm going to do now, which I haven't done yet, which makes it a time experiment. A time experiment. I go into the oh, boat. Wow. You're going into time? Looking for answers. I think I found something. Is that a what, sock? What could it be? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes experiments are harder than you expect. Dirty sock. <laughs> I really don't know what we're finding in there. Could you help me pull this up? Oh. <laughs> Not of this world. <laughs> that's my that's mine that's mine. <laughs> Look at that. Can you see that? Wow. Oh, that is definitely some kind of Darth Vader thing. <laughs> Isn't it? Can you see that? That's my lightsaber. Wow. It is. <laughs> that, 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 can you see that? Yeah. That's pretty neat. Whoa, it's pretty bright, too. I know. <laughs> Don't let it get in your eyes. Mm -hmm. So now we know. Uh, her origin has been sorted out. What did it tell you? It's just whispering. It's just whispering. I, uh, I think this is kind of an inspirational piece. Mm-hmm. This is a lightsaber red variety for those of you who are skilled in the knowledge of the arts. <laughs> it's yes. the Darth Vader light, lightsaber. The uh, Luke Skywalker one is, is blue, right? John has sound effects on his ringtones, doesn't he? <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> yeah. The lightsaber is a an instrument of fictional creation. Um, it, it made a, a very, very good movie. And you say, well, what does that have to do with science? Well, when the movie Star Wars first came to the theater, I got a telephone call. And it was from my physics professor at the university. And I was a student. And he said, Roger, Roger, you need to go to the movie. What? <laughs> you need to go see the movie Star Wars. Oh, okay, sometime. No, you need to go today. <laughs> it will change your life. <laughs> and you know what? Star Wars ended up changing a lot of lives. It really did. And so I went to the movie. Remember that? We went to the movie, and we had an experience that we didn't really expect. It kind of took us to a galaxy far, far away, where we experienced things that we'd never even, even fathomed before. And it uh, was very effective. It inspired my enthusiasm 
and excitement for science and for discovery. The guy that uh, really made it happen was uh, a very brilliant filmmaker, maker, really just kind of creating the beginning of his career. But there was so much science in the things that, uh, that he envisioned. I, I bought a book about the Enterprise. The Enterprise wasn't Star Wars, that was Star Trek. And it was another great program, TV series became movies. And the book was a thick, hardbound book that showed all of the decks and all of the different equipment on the Enterprise. And of course, the Enterprise is a fictional ship of a, of a fictional movie, but someone had gone through and visualized it in all these amazing details. It was just, it was fun looking through it and seeing how they'd figured it all out, including the warp drive, which made them capable of traveling at multiple times the speed of light, which could do amazing things like warp time, and that's why they called it the warp drive. This lightsaber <clears throat> was acquired by me, not from a galaxy far, far away, but from eBay. <laughs> In fact, I don't know what the chance is that the person that made this might be watching this straight up. <laughs> but I, I saw this on eBay and I thought, boy, I better get one of those. You never know when you're gonna need a good Darth <laughs> Vader. Thing. That's true. The, the thing that is really intriguing to me is that this is real. I can hold it, I can touch it, I can look at it. It's pretty. Someone spent a lot of time machining these parts. This looks like stainless steel. Uh, it's a beautiful little instrument. I don't know that it will necessarily be used the way the <laughs> it was in the movie, but someone took that story, that imagination, and turned it into something real. Mr. Lear uh, shared with me his experience of flying on the Learjet. The Learjet was a major advance in, in technology. In fact, just yesterday, I was visited by a legend of the aviation industry, a distinguished professor from a prestigious university. And he was telling me that Bill Lear was the guy that invented the whole executive jet industry and did all these really, really amazing things and many inventions we don't know about. Well. When Bill Lear decided he was going to build the Learjet, there'd never been anything like it. And yet he thought it could be done and it should be done. So now I want to jump over to a true story that was told to me by Moya Lear, Mr. Lear's wife. And we had the privilege of staying in their home when he decided that I would be the person he would <clears throat> mentor. And so in the context of while staying in their home, she told him the story. And it was about the first flight of the Learjet. Now, Bill Lear came home from, from work one day, she said, 
And he says, Moya, Moya, I need your help. I need your help. He took her in the kitchen, and he pulled the chairs out from the table, and he set two side by side, and then he set two chairs behind those, told her to sit down, and she started sitting in the chair on the left. She said, no, no, no. No, I'm the pilot. <laughs> the pilot always sits. Did you know that? The pilot in command sits in the front seat, of course, on the left, and the co-pilot sits on the right. So she sat on the right, and he sat there, and they did a taxi out and a takeoff, and he told her all about this marvelous jet in great detail and how, how it took off, and, and then it went almost straight up, and it did all these marvelous things. And he was just so excited, she said, just like a, a child. He was just, his eyes were full of excitement. Well, quite a few uh, adventures and years later, the time came to actually test fly the first Learjet. And they had, had built this machine. It was in Wichita, Kansas. A lot of people thought it was not really practical that you could have a private business jet and this thing would ever work and that this man, Lear, could actually start a company and build his own jet airplane. Well, when it came time to fly the first maiden test flight, the FAA told Mr. Lear that he could not fly the plane because he wasn't qualified. They needed a pilot that was certified with a jet turbine and was trained in test flight testing, et cetera, et cetera. So he had to get two pilots that uh, were qualified and they got to fly a plane. And that, that was hard for him because he wanted to be in that plane. But the plane went up, it took off. Uh, as this thing took off in Kansas, the, the radio station announced, the Lear has taken off. The Learjet has taken off from, from the Wichita airport. And people just flocked to the airport. They said they had the biggest traffic jam they'd ever seen in that part of Kansas. <laughs> Everybody come to see this. And the plane did its little test maneuvers and came in and land, and a lot of people saw it. It was a big, big to-do. And so a dream that Bill Lear had dreamed and worked so hard on had finally come true. And Moya was there, of course, and she was just thrilled. And she says, Bill, you've got to be the happiest man in the world. And he said, let's go home. <laughs> just probably just like that. Yeah, aren't you grumpy? And so they <laughs> went home and she says, what's the matter? What's the matter? I mean, this is the best day of your life. This, this was an amazing achievement. And he said, for me, the first flight of the Learjet was in our kitchen those years ago. This is not really a weapon or a tool. It's a, it's a very fancy movie prop. But it's real. It's built. It's built well. So many of our dreams don't come true, Mr. Lear told me because we don't know what they are. We don't take the time to set goals, and when we make goals, we usually make them half-heartedly instead of really visualizing what it is we're gonna do and how we're gonna do it. He said, Roger, if you're gonna do something that will ever have a real impact on this world, then you need to decide what it is 
And yes, it will be hard. Bill Lair's one that taught me about that optimism curve, how when you start out, oh, this is going to be so easy. I can have it done today. I'm going to invent something in a flask. <laughs> there yep. it is. There it is. You're saying, what is it? And I don't know. That's the part I'm still trying to find out, what I invented. <laughs> Mr. Lear said you've got to have very, very real goals. And as soon as you get into doing something worthwhile, it gets hard. And then it gets harder. And then it gets impossible. And then slowly, 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 with a lot of work and effort, you begin to solve the problems and start having success. Um, I think it would shock every single student using a Solus if you were to find out how hard it was to make a learning accelerator. Uh, sounds like a pretty easy thing. <laughs> but I found out that it's like the other projects that I've had the privilege of being involved in. It is really, really difficult. And um, I guess you could judge the success of a person by how many times they didn't give up when it got hard. Uh, in my case, I am a giver-upper. I, I have given up many times on the hydrogen car, on the first gigabit network, on uh, a Celis. But I'm also a person that the next day I'm ready to start over. <laughs> and so I only give up for one night. <laughs> I'm giving up. And I'm Do you really home. say that, though? Oh, I, I, like to know I that. don't ever want to see this again. Mm -hmm. like that. It only lasts one night. Yeah, it's discouraging it's when discouraging. things don't go the way you hope. But guess what? In science, in life, when you're doing something that really matters, something new, something challenging, it's hard. It is hard. Yeah. And I, I love the old saying, well, of course it's hard. If it wasn't hard, then someone else would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it be hard, but I've never seen you give up. For more than a night at a time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even when I, I, I When I get <laughs> that grumpy, pouty-looking face, <laughs> and I just walk away without saying anything. I've seen that. Mm. Is that all? You've seen that? <laughs> On your planet? <laughs> well, I was here visiting. <laughs> anyway, it's, I, I think it's okay to give up as long as, okay. you know, it doesn't last. Mm -hmm. But uh, Mr. Lear changed the world, and he certainly changed my life. And I was so thrilled when he shared with me the story about how someone changed his life, and it it was so interesting to hear that he had a mentor. Bill Lear had a mentor. Who was it? And it was Thomas Edison. And I just think it's really neat. So that means starting as of today, each of you have two assignments. Not only do you need to become great world-changing inventioners to go out and make the future better, but you also have to mentor somebody. <laughs> because that's how this inventionering thing works. With confidence, I can tell you that if Bill Lear had not come into my little laboratory at the university just before I graduated, if the vice president of my university hadn't said, this is Mr. Bill Lear, 
He's looking for a protege, and he's interested in knowing if you'd like to be mentored by him. If that hadn't happened, my life path would have been very different. I would still be this great guy I am, <laughs> perhaps. But the things that mean the most to me in terms of the achievements of my life and my career, I would not have even tried. I would have never thought I could. And the, the reason that I would have never thought that I could is because I couldn't. When I started my quest to build the hydrogen car, when I started the project of developing the Cellus Learning Accelerator, I couldn't do it. And no great project can be done with what you have, with what you know when you start out. And the magic comes when you persevere, 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 and you grow and you learn. And the scientific method is a wonderful method developed by eons of scientists that have gone on before to create the foundations of science we enjoy today that have learned how to create experiments, to make observations, to collect knowledge and to apply that knowledge for the benefit of mankind and for the outcome of the goal we're trying to do. So I would just like to say that you and your people are welcome to our planet, if in fact you are from another planet. I like to say my planet smells wonderful. <laughs> Not like that stuff you're talking about. <laughs> Horse flowers. <laughs> no, we have flowers. <laughs> yeah, flowers, good. Does your planet have butterflies? Oh, yes. We feature butterflies. So does mine. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah beautiful butterflies. Well, it is, uh, it is interesting. And I'd just like to kind of leave on that note, uh, butterflies. Um, I wish I had invented butterflies. Yeah. If I had invented them, uh, first of all, I would make them not only so they could fly. I mean, butterflies need to fly, otherwise they'd be butter grounded. <laughs> but, and, and that's not exciting. But I would also have invented them so that they were absolutely, immaculately beautiful. Yeah. I mean, absolutely colorful patterns, maybe two wings that match, maybe even a different paint job on the outside than the inside. I would have made them really, really amazing. But I wouldn't have stopped there. The fact they fly, the fact they're beautiful, I would have built an object lesson into the butterflies, something like, okay, they hatched out as a hungry caterpillar. They went crawling across the dirt because that's all they could do, looking for something to eat. All they did was crawl and eat and eat and crawl and crawl and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, and eat. until one day they stopped and they said, what am I doing? Where am I going? What is the meaning of my life? And so they'd stop and they'd just spin themselves into a cocoon of thought and meditation. And inside that cocoon I would make it so that they would mysteriously and magically transform themselves from this hungry little worm into a magnificent creature that would never eat stuff like that again, but rather would 
carry its own precious golden straw to sip the nectars of flowers. <laughs> that's how I'd create them. You do <laughs> yeah, that's how I'd do it. You must have created them then. No, that's someone what they made do. me to that one. <laughs> but wow. they are truly amazing. They are. And uh, if you throw in the fact that they have their own built in power system, you don't have to recharge them, you just nectar them up now and then. And that uh, when they start to get tired and wear out, they just reproduce a copy of themselves so that they continue. If you throw in a few things like that, then you really have a miracle. And the miracles of creation, the miracles of science, the miracles of the things that we can do astound us. Looking forward, if, if the mission doesn't appear to be impossible, is it worth doing? And looking back, it's so fun to realize that you ran into this insurmountable challenge and you climbed over, and this one, and you jumped over that one. Sometimes when we're doing our projects, and I love to do projects, and I'm very privileged to be involved in a lot of projects with a lot of, especially our students here at the university, we get into a phase where it starts going real slow, and it's looking real murky, and it looks like maybe we ought to give up. I love thinking, you know, if it wasn't for this hard part, then the story of what we're doing wouldn't be that great when we're done. But the harder it looks, the more impossible it seems, the greater the story is going to be when we finally figure out how we're going to get through this. Um, I have seen projects succeed that I knew didn't have a chance of success. And um, another miracle that never fails to astound me is watching a lumbering jumble jet. One of my favorites is the giant 747 airline lumbering down the runway. And they are so big that when they're going down the runway, they look like they're going pretty slow. <laughs> actually going fairly fast, but they're, they're just so big. And then they finally just reach a point. The pilot pulls back on the wheel. The nose lifts up. And then it catches the wind under the wings, and it floats into the air. And at that moment, you're witnessing the teamwork of literally tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of scientists, of educators, of engineers, all contributing their little pieces to make the miracle of that enormous machine getting off the ground. Um, today, I uh, heard on the news that uh, one of the great airlines is going to fly to Europe and get supplies that we crucially need and bring those back to our country. And it's interesting, just one airplane load of supplies is enough to impact the whole nation because of the magnitude of these marvelous machines. 
Guys like Bill Lear make this possible. Uh, Willis Hawkins, one of the founders of this inter International Academy of Science and the chairman of, of Lockheed and president of Lockheed, California, was one of the pioneers that made the L-1011 jumbo jet and, and made these remarkable things possible. Late in, in his lifetime, um, my, my dear, dear friend, uh, Willis Hawkins, uh, became ill. And his doctor diagnosed that he, he needed a quadruple bypass on his heart. In other words, the, the blood vessels that supply blood to the heart had become clogged as he had aged in years. And so they had to go in and do surgery to bypass those clogged vessels to keep him, keep him going, and they did. I had a meeting with him in Los Angeles that was scheduled to be two weeks after his surgery. And I said, okay, I'll reschedule you. Oh, no, 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 come, come, come. So I flew to Los Angeles, and uh, he picked me up at the airport in his car two weeks after surgery and spent that whole week driving me around meeting after meeting after meeting, so excited about what we're doing. And as I rubbed shoulders with that great man yet another time, I realized that he, he's human. He, he's just like me. I mean, his achievements are off scale, but he did it just one step at a time. If Willis Hawkins had not learned algebra, if he had not learned geometry, if he had not learned calculus, if he had not studied physics, he could not have been able to do those things. Study hard, invest in the knowledge that's gonna empower you to do things. Now, not all of us are, are going to enjoy horses. It's okay. Uh, and not all of us will uh, find a career in the sciences. But these principles, the things that you learn, will empower you in whatever endeavor you choose to pursue in life. So, study hard. <laughs>